welcome to Coffee and Catholics, a Catholic women's talk show podcast. I'm Stacy, one of your hosts, and with me I have... Hi, I'm Alicia. And I'm Noelle. I'm Annie. And I'm Lauren. Hello, and welcome to Coffee and Catholics, and we'd like to wish you a happy Easter, because we're still in the Easter season. And today we're going to be talking about the Easter season and how it continues on. We're also going to be talking about the Eucharist and the Holy Spirit because the month of April is dedicated both to devotion of the Eucharist and devotion to the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so yesterday was Divine Mercy Sunday, which came about from um, St. Faustina and then Pope John Paul II declared the Sunday after Easter as Divine Mercy Sunday. Jesus, we trust in you. And um, last time in our podcast, we talked about Holy Week, and we touched a little bit about the importance of Good Friday and how that sacrifice, then that longing for Jesus through Saturday and to the resurrection on Sunday, how that kind of reflects us and our longing for to be close to Jesus. And we also touched a little bit about that closeness being in the Eucharist. I know that the Eucharist is the whole reason why I decided to stay Catholic. You know, I was raised Catholic, but, you know, at some point in your life, you have to decide whether or not you're going to continue on or look at other things. And um, I had a summer job that um, I did not have transportation. It was in another state than I lived in, and I did not have transportation to go to mass on the weekends. Um, they had a prayer service there, um, but it was a non-denominational service. And I attended that, but that during those summers, because I worked at that camp for six years, and um, eventually, near my, my last three years there, they did start taking like a van of people who wanted to go to mass to mass. But um, my first three years there, I couldn't leave on Sunday mornings or Saturday evenings because I was in charge of children and I had to stay, stay there. And, um, that was when I first felt this longing for the Eucharist. It was the first time since my first communion that I had been forcefully in a way separated from him. So it was during those summers that I realized, oh, I have to be Catholic because the Catholic Church is the only place where Jesus is present in his body and in his blood there with us every Mass. So it took a period of separation for me to realize how important the Eucharist was for me. Yeah, I feel like I always want to know how to be holy. Um, I want somebody to tell me all the things that I need to do because I'm a, I'm a doer. I, I'm type A in that aspect, like, well, if you just tell me what to do, then I will do those things as faithfully as I possibly can. And really, the, the, where I found the most growth in my spiritual life has not been in the things that I've done, 
but it has been literally sitting in adoration. Um, I just recently signed myself up for a holy hour because I, I always say, oh, I, I can go to the church anytime and then I don't make time for it because things come up or I get tired. But if, when I have a dedicated commitment, I have to go, then I will show up. So um, eight o'clock on Tuesday nights for me and then I signed my husband up at midnight um, at another church and he was very thankful. Um, no, he wasn't at all actually. <laughs> and in fact, when we signed up for those holy hours, we experienced a lot of spiritual warfare that week of just, you know, we knew that there were spiritual attacks coming against our family. Um, just different things uh, that I won't get into right now, but, um, my husband jokingly said, okay, no more holy hours. I can't take this anymore. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, when I have situations where I'm, I'm mad at my husband or I'm mad at the kids, just literally going in and, and sitting before the Eucharist, something will always be healed within me. Yeah, even if the situation has not resolved outside of whatever is going on, um, Jesus always promises us his peace, that that is his free gift. Um, not only his body, blood, soul, and divinity, but also his gift of peace. And... I find that it, when I want to be holy and I get distracted by feeling like, oh, well, if I do these things, I say these prayers and I read these books and I learn these things, then I'll be holy. No, I need to be with Jesus. Mm -hmm. I actually came into the church for the Eucharist. Um, you know, I, I learned about all of the teachings of the church and I started agreeing with them one by one. And really the last one that I, the one that I had the most issue with was the Eucharist. Um, I just started doubting, like, you know, is God actually real? Is, is, is Jesus actually God? Like, this all sounds so far-fetched and just made up. And, like, it, you know, everything that I've come to believe, is it wrong? Um, I was thinking this, um, you know, as I was approaching Easter, and I was considering not coming into the church. And so I went to adoration. And um, I was sitting there, and... I, you know, was praying to Jesus before me and I was like, okay, like, I don't know if you're actually even real anymore. You know, like I, I want to come into the church, but at this point I'm just, I'm ready to walk away because this is just, it's really hard and I just don't understand what's, what, what is real and what is not like, and, uh, you know, if you're actually real, show me a sign and let me know. And so, you know, I sit back and at this particular church, it's a really, really creaky chapel and the wind was blowing pretty hard. So like, there's just like creaks and moans and groans everywhere. And I'm, I was a very like materialistic person. Like I needed that. So the church would like creak and I'd be like, is it you God going to talk to me? Like, what does that mean? And like with every little creak, I would, I would ask that. And as I was sitting there, I heard a voice and it was like off to my right side, kind of above me. Um, and to give you an idea, like I was in the left pew, um, with Jesus obviously in the center up on the altar. And then there was a hallway directly to the left of me where, like, the bathroom was. Um, it kind of went off uh, to the right where you couldn't see it very much, see, see past it. And then, um, so I, I heard this voice, and like I said, it was kind of above me to my left side. It was coming from between the hallway and the Eucharist, and it said, look at me. And so, like, I look up and I look around and there's only one other person in the chapel with me and it was a lady sitting there, you know, you know knitting her scarf. And I was like, there, there must have been somebody down the hallway and I can't see them and they're, you know, saying, look at me to somebody. So I go back and I'm like, is that you, God? Is that you creaking at me? Like, you know, what does this mean? And I heard it again. It was the same voice and it was coming from the same spot. And he said, look at me. 
So like I turn around and nobody's there and I'm like, that didn't come from the hallway. This is freaking me out. <laughs> what is happening? I'm starting to get a little suspicious here. So I sit down and I'm like, ah, I'm just, you know, imagining things. And so I sit there for a little longer and I'm, you know, praying and asking God, come on, like give me a sign, God. And I hear it again from the same spot, the same voice. And he said, look at me. And uh, I looked up at the Eucharist and like my eyes just started like burning. And the only way I can describe the feeling is that it started from my feet and it felt like I was like filling up from my feet all the way up to my head. And as I was feeling this feeling and I was looking at the Eucharist, my eyes were just like burning looking at him. I couldn't look at him anymore and I looked down. And I didn't know what else to do. <laughs> so I was kind of like confused and a little bit in shock. And so I knelt down and I was like, all right, you know, thanks God, like, okay, sign of the cross. And I got up and, and I went out and I'm pondering this as I go out and I open up the door. And like I said, I was a very materialistic person. So like I look out and the world is still exactly the same. It's, people are still going about their business. Nothing has like miraculously changed before me. So I start doubting everything that I just went through and experienced. And so I get in my car and as I'm, as I'm leaving, you know, I gave myself three options that I really had. Um, the most realistic options that I had. Either I made this whole thing up, it was all in my head. Um, I'm starting to hear voices, which I never heard voices before, and I was like, I don't, I don't think I'm hearing voices. Or it was actually real, and I have to trust that it was real. And I was like, I've never heard voices, I know that I'm not hearing voices, um, so that one's out. And I know what I experienced, I didn't just make this up, because I didn't expect it, I didn't ask for this, this was not on my mind at all. And so the only realistic conclusion was that it actually happened. And so I just accepted it and made the decision and then came into the church. And so I, I, I since then, there have been times that I have received Jesus kind of apathetically, like I've been thinking about other things or, you know, not really focusing on what's before me. But when I think about that, it's just kind of like this realistic, like I, I know that God, God knew that I needed that. I was the doubting, I was like the lady doubting Thomas. You know, like I needed um, that grace and I'm, you know, incredibly grateful that I received it because even, you know, following my conversion occasionally, I would think, you know, am I doing the right thing? What if I'm wrong? Sometimes I still have those thoughts about it and then I think back to that and I know that God knew that I needed, needed that experience in order to continue on in my faith because I'm not, you know, my faith isn't always as strong as it should be or as I want it to be or as, you know, you know, as it should be. And so um, for me, the Eucharist is something that's really, really special. One thing that you mentioned when you said, you know, you were kind of like a doubting Thomas. Um, I heard this really amazing um, uh, reflection on Thomas that think of how close he was to Jesus and he just lost his best friend you know he loved Jesus and Jesus had died and just how how deep within Thomas's doubt may have been just this longing and this desperation I cannot go through this grief again I cannot lose him again um and I feel like when we we all naturally have our doubts sometimes that creep in especially when you know the Eucharist doesn't look like Jesus um doesn't taste like Jesus and yet our faith tells us that it is. Um, but sometimes those doubts, they're not so much doubts that God could never do this or would never do this. It's 
so deep within us, I need this to be real because I need you and I love you, Jesus, so much. And he does reveal himself because he knows that need of our hearts. Just like with Thomas, he said, okay, put your hands into my hands, you know, and, and touch my side. Like I, I'm here and I want to show you that I'm here. I have a, a crazy story. My, when my mom was in her car accident, she was in the hospital in ICU and we weren't sure if she was going to make it or not. And we, I found this priest and I knew I was down in Kansas and she was in, in Michigan and I knew that she had missed mass from being ill. And when she would miss mass, she would not go back until she had gone to confession, even just going to mass and sitting there, she felt unworthy. She's always struggled with that feeling of unworthiness. Um, so I talked to the priest and I said, you know, if there's any way that you could convince her to receive the Eucharist, I really believe that Jesus wants to be with her right now. And, you know, my mom had a feeding tube and she couldn't eat or anything, but the two priests ended up showing up because I left a bunch of messages. Um, and they were able to just convince her to receive a tiny piece of Eucharist that just dissolved on her tongue because she could not take the whole host. And as soon as they left, my, my sister started telling me that um, my mom's heart rate was going up to like, I don't know, I'm making up numbers, but it was crazy, like 150s all the way down to 12. I mean, it was drastically 100 beats per minute differences. And I was thinking, I killed my mom. She was allergic to the Eucharist. I mean, that's all I could think of. My sister was kind of blaming me too, because this just happened right after she received Jesus. And, and earlier that day, she'd had a pulmonary embolism. And they had to do an, an operation to put a little net or a whatever to keep the, the embolism from traveling. And they put the, the AFibs or whatever, their, the shock things on her. The whole nursing team and doctors were all in. And throughout the course of the night, gradually, she began to stabilize. Um, and I thought that this was the end. Like Jesus was just waiting for her to receive him and he's going to take her now. Um, but as she began to stabilize, uh, we started to have hope that maybe it wasn't the end. And I went to mass that morning and the gospel reading was the hemorrhaging woman, the woman who had suffered for so long and just touches the hem of his garment and that heals her. And in that instant, I just started crying and my daughter was like, mom, are you crying because granny is a bad driver? <laughs> I was like, no, I'm crying because I think that Jesus just worked a miracle in this tiny fraction of a crumb that she received. Just that little touch in that little moment of faith that she was finally able to have um, experienced a, a healing, not a complete healing, but a healing. That's amazing. Well, because even in just a small piece of the Eucharist, it is his entire body, soul, and divinity. You don't have to receive the entire mm -hmm. host. So she received all of him. Right. Does anybody else have a really cool story of him? So going kind of back to Holy Week and the Eucharist and the Adoration, um, I found out that I was pregnant with my daughter during adoration. Um, I had just, uh, so yeah, I'm going to tell you about this. Uh, <laughs> details, so, details are needed. Okay, so, um, before, we had had a miscarriage before I got pregnant with my daughter. And I, a lot of beautiful things have come from angels passing, um, which we could talk about another time. But, um, I was, I had been holding on to a lot of anger 
Um, I tried to move past a lot of things, but it was still there. So on Holy Thursday, uh, I still worked in another town that I lived in, and I was really strong in that community. So I decided to attend Mass there that week instead of coming home. And um, before Mass, I went to confession, and I just let it all out at, at the priest who's there. And I was just like, I'm still so angry. Like, you know, we've had, that was our second miscarriage. Um, our first one happened before my oldest was born. But, you know, I saw some purpose there because our, we wouldn't have our oldest. The, the pregnancies are so close to each other that my oldest wouldn't be here if I hadn't lost that first baby. And I was like, I'm not pregnant again. I'm not, you know, anything. I'm like, there's been a good nine months that have passed. I could have had this baby. Why could I not have this baby? And, um, you know, we talked and he gave me my penance and, um, I went out and did that. And then we went to, and I went to Thursday mass there. And, um, when we got home, my church was having all my adoration. And I told my husband that I wanted to go to midnight adoration. And so he said, okay. And so he watched our two boys and I went and to adoration at midnight. So between Holy Thursday and Good Friday. So it was into Good Friday. And um, I'm sitting there still having this conversation that I had in the confessional with God. Like, I'm sorry I've been so angry. I just don't, I don't understand why I can't let this go. And... I heard this voice just go, well, you know, you're pregnant, right? <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> no. Yeah. You are pregnant. And I was like, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. I just kind of sat there for a while. I was like, oh, okay. Well, I let that, I just let that sit all of Good Friday. And, um, I just couldn't stand it anymore. So when I got home from the service on Good Friday, I took a pregnancy test and I was pregnant with our daughter. Wow. And mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so some amazing things happening here. Well, and I remember talking to some people that I know who um I think this particular person um was and is atheist and he was asking you know, why don't, you know, you hear about all these Bible stories where these miracles happen. Why don't they happen anymore? And at the time, I hadn't really experienced much um, of anything. And, like, I didn't really know the answer because I hadn't really looked into much. I think this is maybe before I became Catholic and I hadn't really delved super deep in it maybe. But, like, it's just in these three stories, you know, those are miracles, and the way that they happen in the Bible is they happen in individual people's lives, but they were written down for the world to see. But they do still happen, like, you know, even in today. I just, that's so cool. Yeah, and the miracle isn't always dramatic, right? Mm. Sometimes we have cool stories, but sometimes it's just a, a shift in the way that we're thinking. Um, some I used to go to adoration a lot when my husband and I were, would fight. There was a period of our marriage that was really difficult, Um, and just, we were learning to live together and, um, we'd had job loss and financial strains and, and, oh, sounds like yesterday. Um, no, we didn't lose our, well, some of our jobs during the pandemic. Um, we've just learned to cope a little better, but I would leave the house and go to adoration. And sometimes it, it would be just a shift of thinking that would work towards healing the relationship. Like, listen, 
you said some hurtful things here that you need to go and apologize for, um, where I'm just convicted of that. And I, I remember one time I was like, Jesus, he is so wrong, you know, <laughs> and I don't understand why he won't just admit that he's wrong. And I opened the Bible and it said it was some verse in, in Proverbs that was something like the king always thinks that he's right, even when he's not. And I was like, <laughs> oh, dang, you know, like, <laughs> I need to go apologize. <laughs> um, and so sometimes th those little miracles really are. Um, just a shift in the way that we look at situations. Mm -hmm. Well, see, that kind of happened with me, and this one time I received communion. I asked my husband after this happened, like, you know, told him about it, and I was like, well, I didn't know what to do about this, and he's like, because you're the only person this has ever happened to. But, <laughs> I don't know. But I go to receive communion, I receive the host, and then I go to receive the blood, and being the clumsy person that I am, I spill it down my shirt and my pants and all over the floor, and like I look at the Kristen Bannister and she like looks at me, she goes, I don't know. Like, you know, like put over hand, like, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, she's like, just go, just go. I was like, okay. So I go and I sit down and I'm like, you know, kind of embarrassed. And then it hits me, like, I have Jesus' blood on me. Like, what do I do? And so after mass lit up, I go um, up to the sanctuary and I ask, you know, somebody there, I was like, hey, you know, I spilt Jesus' blood on me, like, what do I do? And they're like, I don't know what to do, because apparently it really was like, the first person who's ever done this. <laughs> and, and so, like, you know, I go up to the priest, and he tells me, you just go home and wash out um, your clothes in, you know, some sort of a container or something, and then spill that on the, or on the, on the, on the ground. Onto the ground, yeah. Onto the ground, yeah. So I go home, and I get a pot, and I'm, like, you know, washing my shirt, and I'm, you know, doing this because I know that I need to. And, like, you know, it feels like a reverent thing or whatever. And then it hits me. Like, I have Jesus' blood all over my hands. And I just started bawling my eyes out. Like, it was it was a very just intense moment for me. And I go and, you know, I pour it out. Yeah, it was just, it was kind of like just a, a quick shift in thinking. But I think that really came from God. You know, I think they always come from God. It's a grace that you're given, but it was just a beautiful moment. I had a similar experience, except for I was wearing a baby and spilled Jesus all over the baby. <laughs> so I was like, so what, do I, what do I do with my child? <laughs> and, and, and speaking of like the, with the children of this, my, I, this is the same child, except for um, he's now two. We always can learn something from our kids, and he has taken up a, um, a a longing for the Eucharist, but not so much. I don't think he quite understands the longing, but he will, all the way up communion, he started saying, I want one, I want one, I want one, and then when he gets a blessing, Oh, <laughs> so sweet, precious. And then my my seven year old who will be receiving uh, first Holy Communion next year um, starts. It has he'll comfort him, and it's just it's really sweet. But he he start he covers. He's like, it's okay. You'll get get to receive. Uh, or I don't remember what he said. I think he says he just he just says he'll, you'll get one <laughs> when you're my age, and it's just it's really kind of sweet to see that um, that innocence um, in the longing for it because he may not recognize what he's longing for yet, 
Um, but he does see that there is something special going on. Well, that's what, I don't know where my husband got this. I don't think it was an original thought, <laughs> but he says, you know, why did God come to us as bread? He came because the very first thing we do when we are born is eat. That is the very first thing we want is food. And so Jesus comes to us as food. So there's this, um, 15 year old, he, well, he's up for sainthood he was a computer whiz, built a website dedicated to spreading the word about Eucharistic miracles. Um, we've showed our kids that as well, shown our kids um, his uh, you know, website, his mission, told his story. Um, but if you're looking for proof of the Eucharist, there's amazing and beautiful evidence in the Eucharistic miracles where even the blood types match from mm -hmm. centuries apart. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. And it's always heart tissue. Mm -hmm. Whenever they, they do it, it's, it's living heart tissue at that. Well, and you reminded me of something, Noelle, when you were talking about your mom and how she you know, never felt worthy to receive the Eucharist. And I've never actually talked about this a lot with people, so tell me if this sounds theologically wrong. But in my opinion, like, I don't think that we are worthy to receive the Eucharist. Like, I don't think we ever are because we, we are sinners. We are, you know, every day... Um, in small and in sometimes major ways. You um, say that at every mass. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're you not know. worthy to receive you. We're, yeah, there yeah. you go. Okay. Yeah. But say the word, it's his word. Like it's. Yeah. Or well, well, that's what the centurion who came to Jesus, he went to, to ask him to heal his servant. And he said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter. Not, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof, like even come into my house, which is our, you know, our, our, our being. But only say the word. And he said, it, and the centurion, my servant shall be healed, but ours is our souls. And like mm -hmm. um, the faith that we have for that, um, we really, yeah, because we really aren't worthy. Mm -hmm. You're right. Yeah. And I remember when I was going through RCIA, there was a woman who was there and she asked the person who was teaching, she said, you know, my son left the church because he was told that he was not worthy to receive the Eucharist. And that really hurt him. Um, and so, you know, what do you have to say about that? And she was like, well, we're not worthy to receive the Eucharist. Um, but we are worth being loved. We are worth that for God, that he would give himself up on the cross, that he would give his, you know, food or his soul and his divinity and his body as our food. Um, so we are worth being loved in that way. And so I think that's something that throughout the Easter season we can really reflect on um, more. So then even the rest of the year is that, you know, we just went through this, you know, this passion of Christ and this resurrection of Christ. And he did that because we may not be worthy of him, but we are worth being loved. And he knows that. And that's why he created us. And all we have to do is ask. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I know we didn't talk a whole lot about the Holy Spirit, but in a way we did because we talked about how God spoke to us in adoration and um, this is from Romans 8, um, 14 through 16. God often speaks to us by the inner witness of the Holy Spirit to our spirit. And so sometimes, you know, that was one of the things when I heard that voice tell me I was pregnant. I doubted it because I was like, it's the same voice that I always hear in my head. Or sometimes you might call it your conscience or whatever you want to call it. And... That was the first time I had realized that God had been speaking to me 
for a long time. And it was just, it was my inner voice. There was a lot of times that inner voice was guiding me places. And sometimes I was resistant to that. And that moment when I saw that positive pregnancy test, after I just let go all this hurt, I realized that God has been speaking to me for quite a while and his spirit speaks to us in our hearts and he has other ways to do it too we might talk about that more in another podcast but in this month of April that is dedicated to the Holy Eucharist and the Holy Spirit we've hope we've given you some hope in this Easter season that God is with us and continues to be with us and his miracles are accessible to all of us Amen. Hallelujah. And as always, thank you for joining us. Thanks. Thank you. Join us again in two weeks. Until then, may God bless you and may Mary accompany you.